If you brought a Bible today, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll get there in a little bit, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to do a lot of Bible uh, in this message today on the screen, but we'll uh, turn and look there in just a little bit. We're in a series we're calling Courageous Conversations. Week one, we asked the question, does faith in God make sense? And then we asked the question, the really difficult one, uh, why does God allow so much evil and suffering? And then last week, I'm still standing, but we asked the question, does Christianity oppress women? And today we're going to answer uh, this question. We'll put it before you today. Uh, why is the church full of hypocrites? And why doesn't this remote control work? There it is. Why is the church full of hypocrites? Let's demonstrate hypocrisy, if you will. Parents, uh, let's say you have a teenager, and a lot of you do uh, here at this service this morning. Let's say if you have a teenager or a young adult, and you ever, have you ever received a text from them and it said, you know they're on the road trip, they're driving home to you, and it says, hey, I'm almost home, I'm like an hour away. And you look at your phone and you're, you realize they text you while they're driving and you told them better. So with one hand on the wheel of your car, you get your phone and you text them and say, I told you never text me when you're driving. Anybody ever, ever done that? Yeah, me neither. I haven't either. But uh, hypocrisy is uh, kind of that. It's when you say something, but you do, uh, you do another thing. I've always thought it's kind of unfair for uh, a kid to be a preacher's kid. We've got a couple in the house today. Monica, you're over there normally on our praise team. She grew up a, a preacher's daughter. But it's interesting that, uh, that, that our kids uh, live in a sort of a fishbowl environment through the years. Uh, people, n- none of you, people at the 930, have been uh, uh, just unfair to them. They'll say things to them like, oh man, you did that or you're not doing that. And you're, you're like the pastor's kid. And that's really not fair. But I mean, does that happen to other professions and their kids? Does an accountant have a kid that overspends, goes outside of the budget and somebody's like, oh, your mom is an accountant or, you know, someone, an engineer's son builds a very lame Lego set. And they're like, oh, hello, dude, your dad's an engineer. Like that doesn't happen, does it? Uh, this charge of hypocrisy uh, is, uh, I think we're a little flippant with it. And it's easy for us to point fingers and it's easy to say this, well, there's a gap between what someone says and what they do, hypocrite. Or we say Jesus is, and then you are. Jesus is perfect. You're far from perfect. You're a hypocrite. But I want us to think a bit differently regarding that. Here's what scripture says in Romans 3. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. In James chapter 3, it says, for we all stumble in many ways. But are we hypocrites because we experience that? Let's let's get, a, a I guess, a, a sense of the terms as we move into this. I think it's important not just to capitulate to the mean-spiritedness of the world today. I mean, are you a hypocrite if you don't always live up to your values? If you live with values, stated values, implicit or explicit, if you live with values, if you have financial values, if you have values uh, sexually or relationally or family life or your goals or purpose in life, if you have values, uh, you're uh, many times going to fall short of those values. For all of sin, Romans 3, James 3, for we stumble in many ways. But the difference is, uh, let, let's call it a uh, a struggle gap. So over here is what you say and over here is what you do. And can we just kind of agree, just nod with me if you agree that all of us have a gap in our living. And I would submit to you that the larger that gap is, the more appreciable and pronounced is that gap, the more numerous that it is between what you say and what you do is the more misery you're inviting into your life. That people with peace are not perfect. Nobody is. It's not perfection, but it's, it's honesty and it's, it's closing the gap between what you say and and what you do. But all of us violate that. But 
let's consider the gap and let's call it a struggle gap. Anybody have struggle this morning? Anybody struggle with things uh, as stated earlier? You have values, but you don't always live up to them. And you disappoint yourself. You don't need anybody else to point a finger. You don't need a parent or a boss or best friend to point out how you've fallen short. Like, you know it yourself. And that's, that's a struggle. Can I just say to you, you hear me say this often, I am the preacher and my sins are many. I struggle like you do, and I want you to know my feet of clay as well. All of us have struggles. Paul would put it this way. I bet some of you have heard this. I just love how this reaches to our humanity. A lot of people think of Paul as just a brilliant person. And a lot of times, I don't know if you realize this, but people who know a lot hurt people. People who know a lot are not necessarily vulnerable people. But Paul lived with great transparency. Leaders, look at me. Live your life with transparency. Let people look in and see you. Here's what he would say about this great struggle gap between what he said and what he did. I do not understand what I do. Paul, get some therapy, brother. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, and it is. It is no longer I myself who does it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I just keep on doing. Pretty depressing, isn't it? But can't we all kind of tap into that? In a, in a way, in a strange way, that really doesn't depress me. I think more about that and I think I can relate. I want to do things, I don't do them, I don't want to, I, I even hate these things, and I find myself doing them. Paul would say, what a wretched man I am. But I love that he doesn't stay there. In fact, God gives us Romans 7, but he gives us Romans 8, and it starts off this way, for there's therefore no more condemnation for those in Christ. No more. You may condemn yourself, but if you're in Christ, he doesn't. He loves you and he calls you out of your wretchedness. He's forgiven you for that. And he's emboldened you to live a bit bigger and better and brighter uh, future. Uh, high school graduates aren't the only one in the church house that need to hear this today. Uh, all of us do. And Paul says, there's no, therefore no more condemnation. He would go on to say that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He would then go on to say in the 8th chapter of Romans, for nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nakedness or sword or peril or persecution, death, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. But here we see struggle. So the gap between what you say and what you do, there's this struggle gap. And that is what we experienced. And that is not called hypocrisy, friends. That is called humanity. But now, let's get real. Because there is not just, um, there's not just this um, struggle, the struggle gap, but it's what I want to call the pretending gap. And the pretending gap is different than the struggle gap. And this happened in the early church. Let me read the verse and give you context. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Anybody know how this story ends? Yeah, the word, the key there is end. And they died. They died. And how, how do you interpret such a difficult passage, such a hard truth? Well, I've interpreted it this way. If you take up offering at Fondren Church, you better be careful. I'm just saying, if you, if you try something, God could kill you. He could take you out. 
But uh, the, look, here's a little context, as best I understand it, is that there's something beautiful happening. There was something beautiful happening in the church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and prayer. There was unity. There, weren't, there, there were uh, needs that were being met one after the other. They, were, they would come to the temple and worship. Folks weren't skipping church, and they were going house to house. They were breaking bread, and they were growing together. Um, they, they, there were signs and awe and wonder, and good things were happening, and God cherishes his work. And when someone, a, a leader, practiced deception, he said, there's time here and a place for my judgment. I am not God. He is. If you have a manageable deity, there's no place for God's judgment. You've got him in a box. This is your God. It, it, you're, not, uh, you're not empowering him to be God. And God says, I take pretending very seriously. Um, many times uh, uh, I've, been, I've talked to young people. It's probably one of the number one questions, uh, similar to what we're talking about today. Lockstep. Hypocrisy. Why is the church full of hypocrites? What's happening uh, what has happened at Willow Creek? What has happened at Mars Hill? What has happened at Hillsong? What has happened at Christianity Today? What has happened at Harvest? What is happening next? What's the next scandal that breaks? And here's my take on it all. My take on it all is that God takes his church seriously. And he doesn't want leaders who deceive. He doesn't want leaders who deceive, who pretend. And so this gap between what you say and what you do, it's common to all. Romans 3, for all of sin. James 3, for we all struggle in many, many ways. We all stumble in many ways. This gap could be a struggle gap. Hey, listen to me. I'll say this at the end, but welcome to the struggle gap. We're all in this thing together. That's called humanity. And man, the world needs to see that. It needs to see leaders with feet of clay. We need to stop pretending. So struggling is one thing, that's humanity. Pretending is another thing, and that's hypocrisy. When Jesus wanted to confront hypocrisy, he didn't go to the nightclubs. He didn't go to the back alley. He didn't go to the red light district. He didn't go to the corporate boardroom. He went to the church. And to the church he went, I think because there's something within us right here, right now, where we can sing Amazing Grace with tear-filled eyes, and then we can leave this place and refuse to grant grace to a family member who's hurt us. Or we can sit here cloistered from it all, and we can condemn the sexual immorality of fill-in-the-blank group, and we don't reckon with the lust that lurks within our own hearts. So Jesus confronts hypocrisy, and in Matthew, he does it 13 times. You know, we're Southern people, and I said this at the 930 service, it didn't seem to be greeted with uh, much uh, joy, but Southern folks, we're good at talking about people. We're good about talking to people behind their back. Don't act like we don't, come on. It's just, kind of, it's just in us, like we, we learned it from our parents and stuff, but we, we'll speak warmly to your face and coldly behind your back. That's how we do things. And Jesus, one of his great followers, would go on to say, speak the truth in love. If the church is going to be built up and we're going to grow, we're going to speak the truth in love face to face. We're not going to talk about each other. We're going to talk to each other. And, and Jesus would talk to the faces of these religious people who had gotten it all wrong. And he would say, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. And in Matthew's gospel, he would say it 13 times. Again, I tell you, not in the red light district, not in the back alleys, not at the nightclubs, not in the corporate boardroom, but to the religious people, he would say 13 times, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. Here's how he would put it in Matthew 23. Read it later. There's these, um, these seven woes, seven times. Jesus said, woe to you, you hypocrites. In verse three, he says, woe to you because you're preaching something, but you're not practicing it. 
And, you know, that was said 2,000 years ago in the Sermon on the Mount. And can I tell you, I bet we all agree here, there's probably nothing that irritates all of us together. There's probably, that's probably the one thing we all have in common is we hate it when someone preaches one thing and practice. No, we, we just despise it. That's called a lack of credibility. And no one wants to follow a leader who preaches one thing and practices another. Don't, 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 don't those people make you mad? And you see what I'm doing here, right? Like that we're getting close to hypocrisy in our own hearts because what about you? What are you preaching that you don't practice? And Jesus would say in verse 3, here's about the hypocrites. Let me tell you, they're preaching something, they're not practicing. And in verse 5, they're doing it to be seen by other people. They love to be honored in the marketplace. They love to have the best seats at the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi. Four little specifics under this. But Jesus would say this. Uh, by the way, real quick definition. We're contrasting pretending from struggling. If you're a struggler, you're not necessarily a hypocrite. If you're pretending, you're living in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending to have a faith that you do not really possess. In Matthew 23, Jesus would state it this way. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That, that word there is a leather box. And they, the Jewish men especially would bring these to prayer. And he's saying you're doing these things. You're, the three acts, the praying, the giving, and the fasting is all done to be seen by other people. Can I just say real quick, you can live your life to impress or you can live your life to connect. And one is so empty. It is so, Jesus would say, you have your reward if you're living to impress. And it'll be the most hollow existence imaginable if you just want to impress. And he would say this later in the woe chapter of Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I'm not talking behind your back. I'm talking to your face. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. It matters to him that our outsides match our inside. It matters that we walk with some credibility. It matters that we do. There are two uh, broad categories here of men that Jesus called hypocrites. And one of them... uh, were known as the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were they included the chief priests and the elders, and they were born into it. Can I just say today, we don't have any Sadducees, but we have some people. You could be one of them. You don't have a faith of your own. You're just born into it. You, you never made a personal decision to receive Christ as your Savior. The preacher talks about it, but mom and them, dad and them, grandma and them, they did it for you, but it's never been your faith. You never chose it. It was just handed to you. And that you're setting yourself up for a life of hypocrisy. A borrowed faith, it won't get you far. And those were the Sadducees, the chief priests and the elders. But another group um, were the Pharisees. We hear a little bit more about them. You may have called someone a Pharisee or heard that reference in a pejorative way. But a Pharisee, they weren't born into it. They studied their way into it. These were these first century Jewish men. And they studied and they learned and they went after it so that they could be included, that they could be bright and intelligent. And can I say, there's no uh, direct Pharisees in the room, no intentional Pharisees. I think a bunch of us are accidental Pharisees. But there's no intentional Pharisees among us. But I bet there's some people here today, you've studied and you think faith is intellectual knowledge and behavioral compliance. And it's empty. You're setting yourself up for a life of hypocrisy. I want to give you two things today to help you close the gap between what you say and what you do and to live a life of freedom, a life of less hypocrisy. You're going to struggle 
You're going to struggle, but you don't have to pretend. So here's the first point. The first point is to acknowledge the gap. Acknowledge the gap. Don't deny it. Watching someone go through something hard, especially if it's self-inflicted, and they're denying the problem or denying the extent of the problem. There's a whole group out there who does this that not deny problems. They're called men. We tend to minimize what's actually happening. And it happens all the time, doesn't it? In marriage, marriage counseling, there's one who has a more honest appraisal of the situation and its severity and one that doesn't want counseling. They don't want intervention. They don't want help until the last possible moment. And they only want it to go away. Acknowledge the gap. John Wood, one of our pastors, was here the first hour. It's one of his favorite verses. If I ever get sick at the last minute and somebody else has to preach and it's John, he would probably preach this passage. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Don't deny it. And can I just say, especially in parenting, um, your kids, okay, some of us are giving away graduating seniors and it's not too late, but if you have little children, let me help you in your future. Little kids are born, they're invisible, but they're like antenna that come out of their head. You can't see them, but they're like six feet long, two of them, six feet long. And uh, I call them hypocrisy antenna. And they are, man, they can just, they can sense when you're being a hypocrite. They can sense when you're saying one thing and pretending to be somebody that you're not. They can sense that. And can I just say, the way to close the gap is to acknowledge that, that there is a gap. So conversations like this, of course, to confess to God, but to confess to others, to confess to your kids, say, hey, I didn't get this right. I didn't get this right. I was watching a guy preach not too long ago, and he was telling the story about him and his son, his teenage son, getting in a fight. And uh, for punishment, he just reflexively said, give me your phone, which is the killer way. That's close to the death penalty, right? Give me your phone, teenager. And uh, the son wouldn't give him the phone, and so he reaches in the back, and he takes his phone, and he throws it out the window. This is a senior pastor of a mega church. I remember thinking, dude, I wouldn't share that story in front of my church. I don't think Fonder would accept me if I, uh, uh, and I'm kidding, sort of. But like, I'm like, wow, that's, that's awfully vulnerable. And here's my point. My point is we ought to tell on ourselves. We really need to tell on ourselves. And parents in particular, tell on yourself because they see it and they know it. And just have an honest conversation. It's called adulting, but just say, here's where I blew it. Here's where I am wrong. Here's where I fell short. And I ask you to forgive me. I want to I wanna do better. So acknowledge, acknowledge the gap. There's this other beautiful passage. It's famous. It's after David's uh, act of adultery with Bathsheba. And it's found in the 32nd Psalm. He says this because um, he kept quiet about it. He, um, he denied his sin. He was a man who downplayed and said, I, you know, I'm not going to get caught. Uh, I can spend this. I'm the king. I've got privileges here. He kept silent about his sin. And I just want to say this to you. Don't. Don't. Here's what happened. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Mississippi folks, we should be able to appreciate that last line. That's like devastating consequences. The heat of summer. In the next days and weeks and months ahead, you're going to be needing to swim in pool or some some tea or some nice cool drink to get you through all this. But the heat of summer is not, it's nothing to play with. And David is saying, when I don't acknowledge my sin, when I kept quiet about it, here's what happened. For us to close the gap, 
for us to move away from being people who pretend who are hypocrites. We need to acknowledge our sin. The second thing that we need to do, um, here, oh, here it goes. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is, uh, I know, a bunch of people's testimony here. Can I just say the good news of the gospel is that I'm forgiven? That's why I'm not ashamed of this message. That's why we can tackle some courageous conversations. The gospel is such good news. The world would want you and religious hypocrites would want you to think it's bad news. That it's a message of hate and division. It's not. It's a good news. Jesus said, I did John 3, 17, right after the famous John 3, 16 that everybody can quote. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to bring life. And part of the life that Jesus brings is a, a good conscience. You can know that you've been forgiven, that you've been washed clean. The second thing beyond acknowledging your sin is to, uh, or to I'm sorry, to acknowledge the gap is to close the gap. Um, this honest tea company, they, had, they conducted a couple of years back, less than, they conducted a social experiment in 16 different cities in America. And the experiment was very simple. They put out all their flavored drinks and they had um, uh, an honor system. How do y'all do with the honor system? I'm getting in front of my story. How do you do, like if you show up at a golf course and there's an honor system, do, do you pay? Uh, confess later if you don't. But uh, honesty, they conducted this in 16 different cities and here's the, uh, the sign said a dollar for every drink and the pay right here. And they found out, they discovered in this experiment that the least honest city of the 16 was, I'm sorry, the most honest city, let's start positive, the most honest city was Atlanta, Georgia. A high percentage of people who got a tea paid a dollar. They got four iced teas, they paid four dollars, that sort of thing. The least honest city, Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's those liberal Democrats, I'm telling you. It's them right-wing religious wackos. It's those, yeah. The, close the gap. How do you close the gap? How do you close the gap? When there's a gap between your honesty, between the way you're living, when there's a gap, it, it could... It could be a, a lot of things. When there's a gap between your faith and your entertainment preferences. Or there's a gap between your faith and your sexual choices. Or your faith and your money management. Or your personal faith and how you handle your anger. When there is a gap, are you willing to do the work of closing that gap? I want to talk for a second to leaders. I want to talk to church leaders. I want to talk to our staff and elders and deacons and, and future leaders and whoever's watching or listening later who may lead in a church. I want to talk to you. Because here's what I've noticed. When, I remember years ago when Susan and I were, um, had the dream for a church, we, we prayed and we, we prayed and we made this vow before the Lord if God were to ever allow us to have a staff member or even a staff team that we would be the type of church that what we would put in the culture and the DNA of our church would, would be that if you work here, you would want to worship here. And that if you had a family, you would sit with your family. Now we have a thing, all the times that we have two services, we have a thing with our staff, work a service and serve, worship a service. Serve out there, greet and park and make sure people are being loved on and cared for and then worship and sit with your family. I tell our guys often, it's a powerful testimony when you're with your wife in the pew. You are not better. You're not to be hanging out in the back or hanging out in the commons. Don't do that. You can go work for another church. Honestly, I don't think you're called to work for a church if that's your jam. But here's what I'd say to church leaders and future church leaders. I'll say that some of you want to go into the ministry. It will develop you or it will destroy you. 
it'll move you toward holiness or toward hypocrisy. When you preach the word and teach the word and call people into community and counsel with people, it'll drive you to your knees in prayer and study the word and you'll tremble at his word or you'll walk around pretending that you're somebody that you're not. And, it, and I've seen both. I'm telling you, I have seen both. It'll develop people or it'll destroy people. It'll move people towards holiness, which is a beautiful word, by the way, not the weirdo re- religious stuff, but it, it'll move you toward holiness or it'll move you towards hypocrisy. Do y'all remember, um, you remember the Live Strong um, yellow bracelets? Um, it was, uh, I would ask people, you know, why are you wearing that? And all the answers were the same. Hey, I'm supporting this Lance Armstrong campaign to fight and ultimately find um, a cure for cancer. So it raises awareness. It's, it's, it was a visible campaign. I bet uh, some of you uh, wore those. But if you look around, you'll notice nobody wears them anymore. And it's not, we got some doctors in the house, it's not because the fight to find the cure for cancer is less important. In fact, it's more important now than ever, and some of you know by word of testimony. The fight is still real, but it's just, it's just it, because of this credibility gap, because a leader wasn't who we thought he was, this particular campaign lost its luster. It no longer has any traction because we don't want to take advice, health advice from someone who's doped their body with chemicals and lied about it time and time again. What do you do about the credibility gap in your life? Will you first acknowledge it and then will you seek to close that gap? It is massively important. I've been admiring a woman writer for the last couple of years as the church walks through a variety of nationwide, uh, even global scandals. This woman is a PhD, and she's very brilliant. She's not one of those angry uh, Christian Twitterers who gets after people in a mean-spirited way. She's really quite brilliant. I hope to meet her one day soon. I have an opportunity, I think. Uh, She said this, deception can easily lie below the surface of a high position, great theological knowledge, stunning verbal skills, and excellent performance. As a matter of fact, those are power tools that allow people to live deceptively and hide the fact that they are doing so. It is so important for us to close the gap and all the more important for leaders to do the same. Jesus would say famously, And amazingly, that you will know them by their, say it church, you will know them by their, and there are, that verse, he said that also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew Matthew 7, 6 and Matthew 7, 5, he talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. I don't like that leaders are deceitful. I've got to guard my own heart. I always invite you to pray for me and all of our leaders here, that we would close the credibility gap, that we would lead with humility. But Jesus said that churches would be full of hypocrites and churches would be full of people whose purpose is to deceive others. And there are some, just as I said earlier, if leaders in churches and all, I'm talking to everybody and every leader, just honing in on leaders here, future leaders, it'll drive you toward uh, hypocrisy or drive you toward holiness. You'll tremble at his word or you'll fake it around people. You'll be known, will be known by the fruit that we bear. There is um, 
a truth that I, I only discovered recently by having some friends in rehab and reading up on it myself. But uh, most drug dealers, this is, it belies what you would think, but most drug dealers, uh, they don't use the drugs that they're selling. That we would say in leadership, they don't buy, they don't, uh, buy what they're selling. And, um, and you may think on one hand that's pretty savvy, right? You're, uh, you're, you're foregoing, doing damage to your own body, and you're maximizing profit. So on one hand, it's savvy business. But on the other hand, we would say, well, that's hypocrisy. It's not savvy, it's hypocrisy because you're not, you're not buying what you're selling. And that's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We can't finger point and say this is something that everybody else needs. We need to first start with ourselves. It's, it's, it's what we need. It's our need, and so we preach the gospel so that we can experience freedom for ourselves. Hey, it's been, I mean, I could feel it in the room at 9.30 when I said this. I'm going to do it again at 11, but what's more emotionally charged uh, among us right now than uh, Roe v. Wade and the reversal of that, the leaking of that, the discussion of that, the debating of that? And uh, I am not popular with everybody, but I'm, I'm pro-life, but I would say this. Uh, whether you affirm a woman's right to choose or you want to fight for the reversal of this legislation, where, wherever you stand on this, I think we all agree on this. If you say you're pro-life, then you need to be about supporting crisis pregnancy centers and welcoming single mothers and helping struggling financial families and advocating for adoption and foster care. Everybody would agree with that. And the reason is you cannot claim that you are pro-life and disregard life itself. You can't be selective about one thing and not all the others. I'm not bringing any judgment in there. I'm just saying that reality. And that is an example for us of how important it is to become a people of God. And that that gap is closed and people sense our love. I want to ask, I think I've got somebody that's going to help me here um, bring up a whiteboard. I'm going to go ahead and ask Lauren and the team to come on up. And uh, we're not far from closing and finishing on time. And Shane is going to bring this board up for me. In, um, in the gospel of Matthew 6, or Matthew 6, 1, he said this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. He would go on to say, you'll have a reward. And what's the reward? impressing other people has anybody uh tried that just like i'm gonna get up today and my goal is to impress people Uh, first of all good luck secondly people are fickle and if you impressed them on a tuesday i don't know if you're gonna be able to pull it off on a thursday what do they say you uh, you got some coaches some athletes uh, what have you done for me lately i mean you know if you win a title let's say you i don't know hypothetically your college baseball team wins the national championship and then they come back the next year and don't even make the SEC tournament. Just hypothetically. I mean, what, I mean, you know, are you, impress, are you trying to impress people? Or are you connecting with people? And Jesus would say this very thing. And I learned this from a man who discipled me when I was uh, uh, in college. Some of you heading to college. And it's, this, uh, it's a two-by-two two matrix. And he talks about how the two deepest human needs are the need to be accepted but also this is the one I think we struggle with a little more it's the desire that you have to be known 
And, and we, can, we can live this way. We can live where we're accepted, but we're not really known. And that would be called in this two by two matrix, it would be called illusion. And this is, this is the stuff of Matthew 6. And this stuff, man, churches manufacture this. Can I just say that? Like, you know, there are jerks, we're talking about hypocrisy. There are jerks in churches. The goal is not to produce jerks, not to produce. But the, the illusion is, man, I'm accepted, woo-woo, but I'm not really known. And then there's a, there's a, a, there's a quadrant here where you're, um, you're not accepted or known. And we would call it isolation. Eugene Peterson in the message, Proverbs 18.1 says, if you live alone, if you're isolated from others, you're spitting on the common good. In other words, you're needed. You say, Robert, I'm, you're needed. You're needed. You're, you're a human being. You're created in the image of God. You are needed. But if you don't feel love, if you don't feel acceptance and you're not known, you're living in isolation. But if you're known and you're not accepted, then we call this pain, and it's very real, we call it rejection. And I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm just saying it, it could be, it could be the guy I know who, when he was younger, he went to the beach and took his shirt off for the first time and got laughed at. And he was known, but not accepted. And more real and more pervasive, it's, it's when you become vulnerable for the first time. And you share something about yourself, but you're, you're not accepted. And here's the gospel. The gospel is when you're known and you're accepted. And it's the greatest need in the room. That's, that's love. So the question is not, will you seek the approval of others? The question is, where will you seek the approval of others? Would you stand with me a couple of passages real quick as we close, because I'll be mad at myself if we don't do it. And now I'm trying to win the approval of human beings or God. Am I? He asked a question. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's, let's just get real deep. For they love the approval of people rather than the approval of God. Who, who did? The, the hypocrites. The people who lived with illusion. The people who are more interested in pressing than connecting. And then I love this from Paul. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Some of us need to learn those words. I don't care. Say them out loud. I don't care. You need to tell somebody today that's picking on you or judging you. Just say, I don't care. In the name of Jesus, from Fondren Church, I don't care. If they're dressed really nice and you're not dressed really nice and they're looking down on you, just go, hey, say, I don't care. If they come to your house and they're like an interior designer, Martha Stewart type person and your house is messy and they're looking down, just tell them, I don't care. If a police officer pulls you over for going way too fast, running that, just look at him and say, I'm sorry, officer. Yeah, don't, don't, don't go too far with any sermon illustration from me. But learn the words, I don't care, because some of us care too much. And if you care too much what other people think, you're going to live for it. And it's a needle to a vein that'll never, ever be filled, ever. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for today. Bless these tithes and offerings as our ushers come forward. Bless the song that we sing in closing. And Lord, I pray we wouldn't punt on the summer. And the travel picks up and there's vacation season and we're out of rhythms and routines. I pray that you help us be a people who will be formed and shaped under the preaching of the word and the gathering of the saints. And that we would uh, hear from you this summer and want to learn from you. 
God, thanks for today. I pray that it would be impactful as we continue these conversations that have a little bit of courage to them that can be difficult to process. And free us. All of us are strugglers, but we do not have to be pretenders. In Jesus, we pray.